Welcome to another episode of Left Turn Canada, a member of the Harbinger Podcast Network. I'm Andy Burkowski with Christo Avalis, as always. If you haven't heard any of the other Harbinger shows, check out their flagship, the one that has the Harbinger name in it. Me and Christo joined Andre this week to talk about the election, everything that's going on. It was nice to you know, meet up with some of the people, some of the other leftists in Canada trying to uh, push these alternative ideas, alternative media, the importance of that. I will say they run a tight ship there. We're much more loosey-goosey, ain't we, Christo? Yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. He had scripts and he had like cues and stuff, and I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we sure. don't do, we don't do that. We don't do that here. No, no that no, doesn't no, happen. No, no. Uh, but no, the no, one thing no. we do here, though, is try to understand what any of this polling means for this current, absolutely ludicrous, not needed election. And yeah. as delicious as it might be that this could completely blow up in the face of Justin Trudeau based on some of these numbers that we've had this week, it might not be as amazing, right? Well, I mean, right now, like, sir, okay, certainly when, when we when we talked last week, we were talking about how, you know, Justin Trudeau certainly didn't have a good start, but, you know, it was also the case that, uh, you know, Aaron O'Toole kind of came out flat-footed with, like, a no-taxes-at-Christmas pl- policy and, you know, using Nazi Nazi code words yeah. in, in their language, in their in their ads. But what we've seen, actually, is that, uh, you know, the Liberals have had a decline, but there's also been a rise for the Conservatives. Now, to, truth be told, I have no idea what's causing it. We might talk a bit about that later. O'Toole uh, making an effort to sound more moderate than than recent Conservative campaigns have been. But it should be noted that while in the some polls have the conservatives in the lead now, the aggregate in general is showing a, a statistical tie between the liberals and conservatives in the vote share. So, for instance, on the CBC poll tracker, uh, they're within uh, they're with they're within a half a point of one another. The liberals at thirty two eight, the conservatives at thirty two two, and then if you look at the um, the uh, 338 poll tracker, they have them literally at a dead heat, 32 and a half each. But looking at the seats in both of these polls, the liberals still hold an advantage in seats, um, but in a clear minority position. But what's crucial is that in both of these polls, the NDP uh, is rising in seats by about a dozen or so uh, in a perfect position to maintain Kingmaker. Mm-hmm. So, um, Justin Trudeau is on pace to again lose the popular vote if the trends continue, but it's not necessarily doom and gloom about a conservative majority or even a conservative plurality at this stage. And that is, I think, the real key factor here. There's going to be a lot of electioneering from the liberals suggesting that this is the time where you have to strategically vote, that it's absolutely yeah. necessary. Look at these popular vote numbers. This is another Andrew Shear. Like, imagine what's what's going to come. And it's just not true. The numbers don't pan out. Like, I think well, well, looking at but, these. But I, yeah, go ahead. One, one thing just to make clear, though, is that like even if like. Like look, like look. One of the polls that came out today, one of the better ones for the conservatives and the worst ones for the liberals. Again, what I read to you there was aggregates. Mm-hmm. So some polls might actually have the liberals in the lead or the conservatives in the lead. Sometimes by a little, sometimes by a healthy amount. That's the averaging of the polls. But a uh, mainstream poll that came out today 
has the Conservatives at 37 and the Liberals at 31. Now, that is an outlier at this stage. Mm -hmm. and that would be a very good result for the Conservatives. But before Liberals, I don't know how many Liberals listen to us, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> but before Liberals get up all in the, uh, you know, retweeting us or whatever, the, the NDP is only at 19 in that poll, which is lower than the average the NDP currently has in recent polls. And... And 19 was what Tom Mulcair got in 2015. Uh, excuse me. Yeah in, yeah, in 2015. And the Liberals won a majority with the NDP getting 19%. So this idea that simply put, if the Liberals lose, it's due to the NDP, it's not necessarily true. And it, like the, the, the fact of the matter is the Liberals can lose simply by virtue of the fact that many of their more moderate voters vote conservative, mm -hmm. right? And, and even further than that, we really do have to make this clear. There's going to be a lot of guilt-mongering about strategic voting. It's going to happen regardless, but especially if the Liberals continue to slip. But people need to remember that it was not the NDP that called an election two or even three years early, and it's also not the NDP that preserved a first-past-the-post system that could give Aaron O'Toole a majority government with 37% of the vote. <laughs> if this poll was accurate, what it would give is it would give Aaron O'Toole a plurality, but he would easily still be outvoted by the NDP and the and the Liberals and the Greens and all of that, mm -hmm. right? Um, we have to keep that in mind. The yeah. Liberals have no moral high ground to hold voters hostage when they put the voters at risk. And so I want everyone to be ready for that because again, it's not the NDP's fault this election happened, and it's not the NDP's fault that we have a broken electoral system. And Don't let liberals bully you. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see yeah. what the messaging will be come, you know, debate time. Because this really is, we've talked about on the show so many times, the number one, if only... Uh, trick in the liberal book when they're in this position, when they've called this election unnecessarily, when the numbers are panning out the way that they are, we'll see how much they are pushing that online. They always have been, and, and part of the liberal cult, members of that have been pushing it as soon as it's you know even been hinted at. So this is kind of chum in the water for them, but it, it's not a simple one-to-one, -one, which I think is important, but more importantly, like you said, it's definitely not the NDP's fault, and that is the only narrative they can spin that can kind of help them. The big question this week, though, is like, why do we think that O'Toole is having this surge? Like his messaging has changed a little bit. He's talking a lot more about uh, workers' rights. I think even today, a lot of what he's, he's mentioning is about the importance of securing pensions when big major corporations uh, go bankrupt. There's uh, an idea he had about getting more representation on the uh, boards of major federally regulated, there's that word, uh, corporations and, and being a part of that conversation. It doesn't seem like the bleeding is coming from the NDP to O'Toole, though. It really does seem like it is the more moderate and right-wing liberals realizing how badly, perhaps, Trudeau is sinking. Because he, he's not having a great time right now. No, I mean, look, look, it, like Trudeau had a bad start, as we noted. Um, Canadians haven't thus far punished governments for calling... Um, you know, elections during the pandemic, but maybe this was seen as overly cynical, maybe more cynical than some of the other examples. You know, the BC NDP, maybe their mandate was longer. Um, you know, uh, I'm not sure. Uh, he hasn't given us a policy that's like, here, I needed to have an election because I tried to pass this milestone keystone policy. 
uh, but the Liberals and the Bloc and or excuse me, the NDP and the Bloc and the Conservatives wouldn't let me. So I have to go to you, the voters, to give me permission. Right? Governments have done that in the past. Right? They've yeah. they've called an election basically because they couldn't they couldn't pass a budget or a, a policy that they felt was crucial, and they basically said, "Let the voters decide." Right? Mm-hmm. Um, Trudeau hasn't done that. Um, I think part of it is O'Toole has been able to portray himself disingenuously, I might add, as more moderate. He's made more posturing in a pro or at least not anti-union direction. He's wearing Converse's. That's very important. As opposed to, say, Stephen Harper that prior to the 2015 election passed a couple of bills that were draconianly draconianly anti-union that would basically make unions report every single financial transaction to the federal government which would be super invasive, but more more problematically, just like a huge budgetary drain on unions. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't requiring that of any other body. It was simply on unions. Um, and so all of those things um, made it uh, very clear that like, oh, like, you know, he Harper was taking a deeply anti-union position, whereas O'Toole has at least through policy not done that. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's part of it. Um, I I also wonder if you do have a segment of voters that are orange red switchers and you do have a segment of voters that are blue red switchers. You even have a few orange blue switchers. And it might be the case that some of those people that are on the fence between liberal and conservative are leaning conservative because, you know, Trudeau has been in power for six years now or so. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, maybe they want to give the other guy a shot. He doesn't Sometimes have much to say. As that. It's, it, like, it doesn't like the have longer that thing, you're in right? Pa- yeah, the longer you're in power, the more likely you're to lose mm-hmm. um, by virtue of the fact that scandals build up, but also people sometimes will just want to change, yeah. right? O'Toole has not done anything in my mind, however, to justify a surge in his polling. He has not made any crucial errors yet. Mm-hmm. So O'Toole has run a good campaign in the sense that Justin Trudeau is failing and O'Toole has not given Trudeau any unforced errors. But O'Toole has not, in my view, done anything to justify this surge. I, I, I don't know what's causing it, if, yeah. if, if, if I'm being honest. Would... It's not a major surge, to be fair, either, right? It's not mm-hmm. like he's up nine points. Um, but it it, it, it it certainly is the best he's polled in a long while and the worst the Liberals have polled in a long while. Yeah, I I guess it is important to have some internal skepticism when examining this, because there is a possibility that this will feed into narratives that could benefit people in power. It's like when we were talking about on the the Harbinger show about the problems that Election Canada was having about uh, setting up their uh, voting stations in universities and, and the ability to do that. And it is very easy and perhaps correct to assume this would directly benefit, you know, the the party in power by by doing this, and I I do wonder sometimes if perhaps you know there are narratives being pushed here when it comes to polling that are benefiting certain groups of people that have been in power for a while in order to further that dominion of power. Because like you explained here, Krista, when you look a little closer, it doesn't actually show like that big swing in seats that actually does matter. It definitely uh, makes the situation worse for Trudeau, but it's not as if, you know, O'Toole is coming out so strong and now people are following him with this new mandate. He's saying something that's moving people. So it does make you wonder. 
But it's also that's that's the bug and or feature of first past the post. Like, mm. look, I'm not a supporter of first past the post. I'm not. I think it's a deeply undemocratic system, and also super as a partisan uh, a supporter of a third party. It's it's goddamn unfair to yeah, us. It'll right? never work. Yeah. But like the reality is that. One of the arguments about first past the post that people either say as a negative or a positive is that in in a lot of cases, it doesn't require a huge swing in the popular vote to make a meaningful change in the parliament. Mm. And one argument I can say is that it, it can lead to overcorrections because 5% of people switching from the liberals to the conservatives fundamentally transforms our government for the next five years when maybe that's not what people wanted. Maybe it is, maybe mm -hmm. it isn't. On the other hand, people have said that it is, it gives people an opportunity to quote unquote, throw the bums out. <laughs> so the, the fact of the matter is, is that it doesn't take a huge swing, right? It doesn't yeah. take a huge swing for things to swing massively, especially once you get to certain tipping points. Like the NDP right now is sitting at 38 seats they might gain 1% and go up to 39 or gain 2% and go up to 50, depending <laughs> on where you gain that extra percent. If you're gaining it from the liberals or conservatives, you know what I mean? Like yeah. these things really matter. And so the system is broken in the sense that even if you are a strategic voter, first past the post doesn't give you the information required mm -hmm. to actually vote strategically in a lot of cases because you can't determine things, right? Well, you know, maybe um, so, Trudeau yeah. will fix it. Maybe Trudeau will fix it and follow up with his promise in the next couple of weeks. Well, right? like, look, like, look, you can tell <laughs> desperate liberals are getting. I had this tweet that went semi-viral today. If I, I don't want to brag. Oh, but Christo. <laughs> but I said, you know, you know, if the one or two bad polls uh, more for the liberals and they're going to be promising first past the post again, and you have liberal partisans on Reddit. I'm not going to read the person's username, but liberal partisans on Reddit openly saying. You know, we should just promise the universal basic income to save the poll numbers. We don't even have to mean it to follow oh, through with it. Just geez. endorse it. Then don't do it. Wouldn't be the first time. So that's where the liberals are at right now. You're <sighs> going to see this one, some, some, some vote mongering, uh, strategic vote mongering, mongering, uh, which has had success for them in the past. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Uh, and two, um, just plain, just plain fucking lying. Just it's plain just, lying. We got to pause like, for a like, second there, Christo, because like, yeah, I obviously this isn't said by an actual politician, but the sentiment of certain people who feel like they're connected to politics and, and the service of what it means to be a politician in this country are trying to suggest they'll do whatever it takes, lie and be deceitful to be in power. And it just seems to fit entirely perfectly with the notion of the Trudeau liberal ideology and is so contrary to the type of values that I think you and I and the people listening are begging for in our political system. It's the exact opposite. And they're they're saying, you know, the, the loud, uh, the quiet part loud, so to speak, because this is what people despise. And I, I just hate that for some segments of the population, it's almost seen as like you're just being the most clever if you're able to use our broken system to get ahead in this way and be completely amoral, as opposed to just examining like, okay, the system is broken. Why don't we do things to change it? Why don't we not lie, even if we're not individually in power? So I just, I wanted to take a, a brief moment to take us out of this, you know, politics hell spin to recognize these people are fucking evil and it's okay to say so. <laughs> yeah, like, just look, dragons, I mean, man, just dragons, yeah. goblins. Like imagine calling an election 
three years early. Liberals will say, well, it's only technically two years because of the Fair <laughs> Elections Act we don't pay attention to. But in Canada, you don't need to have an election until 2024. You can go five years without an election in Canada. The Liberals called an election three years early, right? Let's mm -hmm. even be charitable and say two years early. And now they're like, oh, we need this. We need to stay, you know, uh, keep us in power because we we're at a crucial interval, uh, you know, coming out of COVID, building all these programs. And it's like, yeah, why'd you call the fucking election? <laughs> you didn't need to do it. Right. So like, yeah. look, like, don't blame us, man. Like, don't, don't blame, like, like, like blame liberal voters switching to O2. Again, like the Ecos poll. Like, not all polls are like this, but the Ecos poll, one of the most recent ones, I think the, the the big one that came out today, has the NDP at the exact same amount they were six years ago, at 19%. And all that's changed, really, is that liberals are down and conservatives are up. Yeah. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. So don't blame NDP voters voting NDP. Blame liberal voters voting conservative and blame the liberal party for calling... Excuse me for calling this election. <laughs> you're so you're apoplectic. You can't yes, yes. you can't hold I, in. I, I, and I can't I can't contain it. <laughs> well, it's just it is. Uh, you know, we need to have those those moments, and I think most people listening have to have those moments too, because it really does just feel like sometimes there are people who are in power that are just shuffling papers back and forth between, you know, red and blue, depending on, you know, the, the moves of the sun and, and what's happening in this this PR war. But I, I just want to talk a little bit about the actual, you know, um, campaigning that we have seen in this last week. Uh, I think it was yeah. a, a little while ago now because we're a little late on recording, but I just, it made me absolutely fucking sick when Trudeau was touting his plan now in August, the end of August 2021, to help improve and expand the uh, sick day social safety net for those that are working for the federal government. It's just, yeah. it's so sickening to do it now after we have seen countless people tortured yeah. and killed by the worst pandemic that we've seen in 100 years. That one years. got a lot of hits. Like, that one got hit hard. I mean, I saw a few liberal partisans yeah. share that as, like, this big visionary thing. But one, Justin Trudeau, like, crapped on that, saying, oh, the NDP doesn't understand jurisdiction, when Jugmeet <laughs> was both pushing for a partnership with the provinces to ensure paid sick leave uh, at for for. Uh, provincial workers, which are most workers, to be yeah. fair, right? Most workers are provincially regulated, but also, which the federal government can just do because it's it's you just have to update the Canada Labor Code. Mm. Um, just you know, paid sick days for federally mandated workers, and Justin Trudeau didn't do it, and so I think that one was one of the exa and I'm uh, one of the examples of how cynical the election was, and I'm not necessarily suggesting that that policy is the reason the liberals are down and the conservatives are up. But I do think it's emblematic again of this, of this like purely cynical call. There's nothing new. Justin Trudeau is not running on anything new. It's here's what we've done and here's what we're going to continue to do. But all of that could have been done under the previous parliament. And I'm not even saying everything the liberals have done is bad. Mm -hmm. Like, I, you know, if I'm, if I'm just going to be purely objective, some of the things they're promising are good. These are good things that, that Canadians would be better off having. But like you're putting at risk, you know, uh, you know, a conservative government, the thing that supposedly the NDP will lead to. Mm -hmm. Right. And yeah, like all because for a policy that you did not need an election for. Yeah, that that's the stuff that will make and it's you like, like, never like, want to like, vote you know, again, you know? The, you know, the, the famous idiom, 
you know, uh, you can fuck around and find out. <laughs> well, like Justin Trudeau is fucking around and he may find out. Yeah, right? I, like he I, may I do find wonder out. if it is like maybe this is the inadvertent punishing of Trudeau and the liberals for pushing such a cynical election that there's just there's too much weight behind it. People are are generally not stupid after what we've gone through. And when they hear Trudeau and his cohort every single day saying things that most people can recognize he could have already done. I think it is having that effect and it perhaps isn't making, you know, uh, protests in the street, although I do believe there was a protest that just uh, made Trudeau cancel one of his his stops that he had. But I'm pretty yeah, there's sure there's been a lot hecklers of, and protests yeah. at, at, at Singh events as well and Trudeau events mm-hmm. uh, that has been. I, I'm not sure about O'Toole events at this stage. Uh, yeah, Singh the Singh event hit had, with a lot of racist, racist yeah. vitriol. Justin, a lot of it, I think, are just like anti-vaxxers. Yes, you know, uh, that, that just, you know, don't, yeah, don't, don't like Justin Trudeau, mm-hmm. uh, because he, you know, he, he wants you to get the vaccine, which, uh, Trudeau, uh, a rare point where Trudeau is correct. <laughs> you know yeah, no, I mean? it's his big push. Yeah. Like that is the big campaign yeah, like, push today yeah. is vaccinations. Everyone who can get one, get one. And we're going to give money so that the provinces can push the idea of, uh, passports or something close to that. If not passports, but something close to that. As it was. Justin Trudeau today at one of his events violated COVID protocol. Oh, you can't write yeah. this stuff, man. Like, it's yeah, just like, great. Like, <laughs> Justin Trudeau violated COVID protocol with one of his events today. Right. And mm-hmm. so, like, there was an event in Toronto and Justin Trudeau had, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau campaign event breaks Ontario's COVID gathering restrictions where they had a large indoor event. And... um it's, you know, it, yeah. is it the worst thing ever? No. Are, are most, if not all of the people working on the liberal campaign vaccinated? Yes. But it mm-hmm. still violates protocol. And regular Canadians on a regular day, vaxxed or not, could not do it. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. And I just, it isn't that, that dissonance, I think, is hitting people hard. Because on the other hand, we have Singh, and this is... Uh, a long time ago now from when it happened, but uh, when he made his stop in Saskatchewan and talked with the COSS uh, chief there and the moments that he had when he was asked afterwards, which is a bit of a glib question. Like, I do hate when reporters are clearly, you know, trying to get that emotional response. Like, fuck you a little bit, man. Like, you know, you, you're screw, you're setting him up kind of poorly either way. But he, he did ask one reporter asked the question, you know, now that he's going to be a father, how does this, uh, you know, they, these horrible atrocities, how, how does it make you feel? And I think Singh showed incredible leadership with his answer and like character and like everything that you would want to identify in a great leader he did there. And if you even compare that to a moment we talk about so often here on the show, Justin Trudeau taking his how many second pause was it when thinking about Black Lives Matter, like the difference between the what seems to be at least genuine concerns of both men when faced with something that supposedly affects them emotionally, 
Like it's night and day. You see what Jugmeet did and you believe him. You see what Trudeau did in that instance. And at least for me, it felt entirely calculated. And that yeah. is starting to lose people maybe now, finally. Like it, maybe yeah. it's just finally cutting people off. What do you think? I mean, it could be. It's probably partisan bias to some, to some degree yeah. for us, if we're Good being point. honest. But it's yeah. also in the context of Justin Trudeau. The Justin Trudeau moment in isolation probably does have an air of touchingness. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if in some way Justin Trudeau is the biggest believer of Justin Trudeau's lies. Mm. But the reality is that like Trudeau is fighting the kids in court. And so that's what pissed people off. It's not the moment. It's not the symbolism. The symbolism matters. The symbolism is fine. It's the symbolism as smokescreen rather than a genuine expression that pisses people off. And yeah. rightfully so, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, like that's like that's where we're at right now, right? Like mm -hmm. Jugmeet's moment was heartfelt. Uh, it's been combined with a consistent push from Singh to uh to to fight with and for indigenous people in their you know quest for justice you know jugmeet did a, a dedicated post today on how he will uh, in response to cindy blackstock one of the champions for young indigenous people in this country saying we pledge we will not fight indigenous kids in court like the current federal government mm -hmm. yeah. right and I, that's why the sing moment has a greater impact yeah and he also i think just in the context of it, really tried to make it not about him, even though he was having, you know, an emotional experience as anyone would who yeah. is going to be father or is yeah. that Trudeau moment. I absolutely it's important to have symbolism, but I still felt like he was making it about himself and that it was about how upset he was and reveled in that. Like, I, I do think that it's it's having an impact. And you talked about the uh, the posts that uh, Jagmeet did today. It's amazing to see the three major uh, parties and their their leaders um, impact on social media and how differently they are trying to connect with people like everything. And it is a little different because Trudeau's the the PM, but everything is so refined for both Trudeau and O'Toole and nothing looks like it is written in the voice of, of the man who is actually has this account. Whereas Jugmeet, it's like you said, he's just putting the camera on himself. It, it definitely has that feel of someone trying to connect based on, you know, a personal connection. And I don't know, I think it's it clearly is working like there's a there's a poll that came out today that is showing it's working very well. If you if things changed, maybe that would change. But it's just it is it's having an impact. I, I got to believe it is. Well, I mean, look, the NDP is certainly polling well. Uh, they're they're up in most of the polls since the call of the election. Not not in a crazy way for most of them, but they are up. Uh, but Singh remains popular. Yeah. And, you know, the election, I know it's a short election, but there's still a quite a bit of time left. Um, you, you know, he's doing the right things. And I mean, even we had a, a, a new ad. It's in French only at this point, I believe. But it's just perfect. It's a video of Singh uh, in, a, in a room and there's a billionaire in a bathtub uh, bathing in money, wearing the top hat and monocle. <laughs> and Singh takes his champagne glass and dumps it out. Basically being like, we're going to tax the rich to pay for the things mm -hmm. that working Canadians need. It's just like funny, it's charming, and it's like the class politics. Yeah. That, you know, we on this podcast, and I know most of the people listening, uh, have been asking for, mm -hmm. right? Like, you know, 
the rich versus the rest of us, there is a value in that very clear political message, which appear appeals even to some conservative voters, as we've mm-hmm. talked about when we talk about the wealth tax and how that's popular with conservative voters as well. Yeah, the the idea that people self-identify as now being rich and part of the 1%, I think is is dwindling as, you know, our, our societal conditions become worse and worse. People, I think this is pretty well known, but people always identify themselves as middle class, usually even if they aren't. But I think actually having a politician come out there and and make it pretty clear who the enemy is in this moment in time is essential. Like we can quibble about how uh, great a leap some of his policies are like we're we've talked a lot about the the real failed attempt to get rid of and forgive student debt and just how that was just a mistake. It it didn't it didn't work and it upset pretty much everyone doing this now. If I I really want him to push harder on that, I think he has the momentum. And I think in this moment in time, like you said, there's it would go across. It would be partisan. Like everyone would jump on it. Uh, Do you think he'll actually push that more? I don't know what what the plans are. But uh, one question I have for you, uh, Krista, before we move on just a little bit, still talking election what now week two do you think would be if you're looking at these numbers and and doing a little bit of forecasting would be the best outcome for the ndp well like look i don't want to sell anything short because if justin trudeau keeps sinking god knows what could happen mm-hmm. where voters could could all of a sudden decide that the ndp is the anti-o-tool option i don't want to make anything impossible but honestly like, if you're being quote-unquote realistic, the current status quo is very good for the NDP. Mm-hmm. You, of course, want to raise your polls by a couple percentage points, ideally taking from both the Liberals and Conservatives. But as we sort of talked about earlier, um, you know, the NDP is sitting uh, far better than they were last election. And just looking at, like, the CBC poll tracker... Uh, the Liberals are at 151, the Conservatives at 22, the NDP at 38. The NDP can push the Liberals above 170, and no other party can, because the bloc is below the NDP, whereas now they're above. And the similar thing is is on the um, the uh, the 338 tracker. In many of the recent polls that have the Conservatives and Liberals in a dead heat, or the Conservatives a little a, a bit ahead in the vote totals, have them basically in a dead heat for seats, giving mm-hmm. Jagmeet Singh maximum bargaining power. So, you know, barring, and again, I'm not discounting the possibility necessarily, but barring a, a 2011-style surge, um, you know, just slight increases from now to Election Day, with neither the Liberals or Conservatives getting momentum over one, of an, one, one another and just sort of stagnating themselves could give Singh not only, you know, a dozen or so, maybe a dozen and a half more seats, but but significantly more power mm. than he has right now um, without having to a, a, without having to burn his brand. He'll mm-hmm. only be more popular after this election than he was going in, which will not be said for Justin Trudeau yeah. and maybe not for Aaron O'Toole either. If, is there a situation where Justin screws up so badly that he is out the door and we got Friedland in here and she's, you know, girl bossing us to the next decade. Just th- girl bossing us to Ukrainian fascism. Yeah. Yes. I mean, like, look, like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, I mean, like, look, I mean, the, the, the reality is like, 
Justin Trudeau, I think if, if he if he wins a majority, he's good. Yeah. I don't know how long he's going to go on if he's maybe his goal is to maybe do, serve out the term, go 3 years, announce he's retiring, ne- let the next liberal leader run a leadership contest, set them up for the next election. I'm not sure. I'm not mm-hmm. going to go beyond that. If he ends up in a minority, there's going to be questions. It's going to depend. If he ends and it's almost paradoxical, I think. A close minority might ironically make him safer. Like if let's say he only has five more seats than Aaron O'Toole, liberals might want to turf him, but is it safe to turf him versus an outcome like now, basically a status quo where he, he comes short of a majority, but he's clearly ahead of second, you know, that gives him more security, but it might also give the liberals more security to throw him out and take a new pick. I think if he doesn't win a majority, he is in trouble. I'm not saying it's a guarantee that he's out the door, but if he ends up with a status quo, there are going to be some voices in the Liberal Party saying, you know, you you have been in power for the better part of a decade now. Um, you ran an election we didn't need to have, uh, and you didn't achieve anything. Maybe you even put us half a step back. Uh, all you've done is empower the NDP more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and your personal brand is is not as good as it used to be. You used to be our, our our cash cow. Now you're in some ways becoming a liability. It's time for you to go. Yeah. I could see that. I could see that. Of course, if he loses, he's done. Like if yeah. he loses, he's done. If he gave, Even if he loses to one seat by the conservatives, I would think he would be done. Hypothetically, he could make a deal with the NDP, but I would almost say the liberals would rather the conservatives govern because mm. they wouldn't want to legitimize well, you're, the NDP. You're kind of, you're hinting at our next yeah. question here. So this yeah. is a, a little segment that we've been introducing the last uh, couple weeks. If you haven't checked it out, head to patreon.com slash Canada. Give a little bit of cash and you can join our online community on Discord. Amazing people explaining to me politics in a way that I didn't understand. And we have two individuals, two of our contributors that wanted to ask us some questions about this election. We're going to start first with Shane, because I think this kind of ties into what you were talking about there. Based on the current landscape, what are the chances of a liberal NDP coalition based on the numbers we have now let's not you know go into this idea of you know the the ndp becoming the anti-conservative party with what we got now do you see this as a possibility for uh Singh becoming that kingmaker i think that that you mentioned before with the snapshot we have this moment well i don't think we'll see a formal coalition that is yeah. very rare even uh, even the BC NDP and Greens did not have a strict coalition, right? They had a a, a kind of an agreement, a supply and confidence agreement, um, and it and it was quite successful actually. What we saw in BC uh, between the BC Greens and the BC NDP in terms of like a very razor thin government where, where the where the governing party was not the most uh, was not the largest party in the legislature, mm-hmm. but a coalition generally pertains. Uh, to having the minor party actually have seats in cabinet mm. to act. So for instance, that was what was planned back in 2008 where Stefan Dion, Jack Layton agreed to form a coalition supported by the block. The block would not come into the coalition, but the block would offer the votes needed to go to the governor general and say, we have a governing coalition. So mm-hmm. the block would be a soft member of the coalition 
and the NDP would have seats in the Liberal cabinet, effectively, and they would form a coalition cabinet. I do not see that happening. Yeah. Uh, the question becomes, if the Liberals have a very small plurality of seats, they might just try to do what they've been doing now, which is mm -hmm. to continue to govern, hoping that the NDP passes key legislation. But they might have to give the NDP more if the parliament, if their if their margin is smaller, and if they have fewer partners they can bargain with. Mm -hmm. um, now the, the the interesting question becomes a hypothetical where let's say the liberals finish second to the conservatives, mm. but when combined with the NDP they form a governing coalition. Let's say the liberals get one thirty, the conservatives one thirty five, the NDP forty. Thirty plus forty is one seventy. That's the majority. They could hypothetically govern with the NDP and the sitting party always gets first crack at forming a government, even if they do not win the most seats. That's the way it works in the British parliamentary tradition. So Justin Trudeau losing on election night in, in unless it's a majority loss, because yep. then like you can technically go to the governor general, but the writing's on the wall. Mm -hmm. Justin Trudeau could hypothetically go to the governor general and say, I know I don't have the most seats, but I've spoken with the leader of the new democratic party and they've assured me that with this agreement we can govern at least for the next few months um and the governor general would give them the opportunity to govern if they could pass a throne speech and a budget and all those things they would be allowed to govern so long as they can or until the five years run up and it's time for another election right mm -hmm. um and so that's possible but i all i'm almost convinced that while that's what liberal voters would want liberal voters would want that liberal voters want ndp policies and liberal voters, if you get off Twitter, <laughs> love Jugmeet Singh. Mm -hmm. they're, they're quite fond of Jugmeet uh, liberal voters. They would like that. They would like the idea of a liberal government with uh, the NDP playing a role. The, N the liberals would not want that. Justin Trudeau, I think, would almost be more willing to lose and let Aaron O'Toole govern. Mm-hmm. No, I think that's fair. Like he yeah. if we look at why we're having this election right now, yeah. the worst outcome for Trudeau may just be having to submit to a coalition. And perhaps you're right, yeah. because, you know, what is his personal future if he decides, well, you know, I, that he's I not going to clarify, have that. it's not so much about Trudeau, because as I said, if they lose, he's, gone, he's probably think. done. But yeah. I mean, the Liberal Party, the Liberal Party thinks to itself, one of the things that allows us to refresh our, our our resources is giving the conservatives time to govern. Remember, mm. this was the calculus of the Ontario Liberals. The Ontario Liberals made a choice, a very clear one, to in the last week, week and a half, two weeks of that campaign in 2018, to stop attacking Doug Ford mainly and go after Andrea and the big bad unions, mm -hmm. right? And the argument was from the liberal strategists, if you don't do this, there's a chance Andrea could win. And if Andrea wins, especially if she could somehow win a majority, but if Andrea becomes premier, you're likely out for at least a cycle or two, right? Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. If Doug Ford becomes premier and fucks it up, there's a chance that you could come roaring back. And actually, we have seen polls suggesting that. I'm not necessarily convinced. Uh, Del Duca is not 2015 Justin Trudeau, mm -hmm. but it's possible. And so the liberals might think to themselves, okay, we have an, it's a minority government for Aaron O'Toole. Um, he uh, will let him govern. Uh, he can't pass anything truly crazy in a minority. Yeah. Uh, we'll let him govern. And then maybe in two years, they'll let us back into power. We'll have a new leader. We'll get Freeland in or whoever. 
they'll throw Justin Trudeau into the St. Lawrence, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, uh, you know, she, Freeland's going to have the, the, the knife fresh in his back yeah. and like, and, and maybe, maybe she'll girl boss her way back to, uh, to, to being prime minister. Uh, they would rather do that than give the NDP a coalition. And of course, I mean, the NDP, I think in, in, in a purely ideological sense would love a coalition, although it should be said that generally minor partners and coalitions rarely fare that well. There are exceptions. Mm. Bob Ray went from something of a, a soft coalition in the 80s uh, and was able to parlay that into a government. But you saw what happened to the BC Greens, yeah. Uh, and you saw what happened even to to the NDP in 1972. They formed the coalition like this to Trudeau. The result, the result of which was a liberal mi- a majority two years after. Mm-hmm. So there are pitfalls for the minor partner from a purely strategic perspective. Very fascinating, just to yeah. to look at this idea, and I think this is something we we hit a on the head a lot here on left turn Canada, the beliefs that regular Canadians have of how our system, how our, our our life should be run here in Canada, how our government should work are very rarely in line with the actual mechanisms of government, that the things that most voters would want seemingly, especially those that will sing to the heavens about how important it is for real democracy and real representation. That's why we we need to have something like a coalition. When push comes to shove, as you're explaining here, Christo, it's usually not in the best interests of those that are making these rules to allow this to happen. And that is kind of a, a bit of a wake-up call for a lot of people in Canada here. I think there there are more people in Canada, perhaps, that are, uh, how should I put this, that are more obsessed with the notion of a Canadian identity that is is really at odds with what it actually means to to live here and and be Canadian. Like that that's very important I think to a lot of people what it means to be Canadian. And and so many times here on this show you'll explain the actual parliamentary procedures and it just seems to spit in the face of what this quote unquote ideal Canadian system could be and this system could have been better if Trudeau actually followed the promises that helped him get into his seat of power, right? Well, yeah. Well, there's also the different, like, there's a difference between what parties want and what voters yes, want. Yes, yeah. And that's with every party. I think the NDP base in general wants more from the NDP in terms of ambition. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it. Um, oh, yeah. You know, but we also saw with the conservatives. We remember that embarrassing moment where O'Toole was like, climate change is real. And his party was like, nah, brah. Nah, <laughs> nah right. We, no, we, we can't even, that. We, we can't even recognize yeah. that we yeah. think we should do something maybe yeah. about it. If it involves yeah. us. <laughs> and yeah. And so Justin Trudeau faces a similar thing where many in the liberal party, if they gave them a choice, if you were to, if Justin Trudeau say in a, in a, a hypothetical scenario where the choice was, we form a coalition, either formal or informal, with the New Democrats, or O'Toole governs. Mm-hmm. 90% of liberal voters would say form the damn coalition with yeah, the NDP. Yeah, absolutely. And the liberals will not will likely not listen. And I think that that's, what, that's a big part of it, is that I think the biggest disconnect, in federal politics at least, between membership and, ba- and, and, and party, is the liberal party. Because mm-hmm. liberal voters are by and large aligned with the values of like the NDP in a lot of ways, but vote liberal um, out of just inertia or uh, strategy or uh, image or what have you. Mm 
And so Justin Trudeau understands this. The Liberal Party understands this. Um, I just, I think that's the most likely outcome. There's been mm-hmm. a lot of t- discussion about, oh, who's going to form a coalition with who? But I think like in many ways, Justin Trudeau would be the most willing to let Aaron O'Toole govern of any of the other party leaders. Man, I wonder how, like, who is that liberal voter if something like that happens and they're in a situation where the Liberal Party, you know, could form a coalition, but decides not to, perhaps purely for ambitious reasons, yet all of the campaigning was under the uh, the messaging, the notion, anything but conservative. He is the real enemy. We have to vote strategically. You can't let the big bad blue guys come in. Who is the person that hears all that and is still really excited to be a liberal, you know, for the next election, who's really still, you know, having the campaign signs on their lawn, because that's a person I want to talk yeah. to, because I, it's going to be hardcore. It's going to be hardcore politicos. Yeah. And some some very, you know, moderate liberals, mm. you know, like business type liberals, very wealthy liberals. A lot of boat you know, owners, the, you know, that's yeah, what I'm made, like, you yeah. know, the kind of people that when you ask them, are you a blue red switcher or a blue orange switcher? The blue red switchers would be more likely because they might say to themselves, I prefer liberals, but I get an O'Toole government and it's a minority. So the conservative crazy might be curtailed. Mm. I could see some liberals saying that, but they would be in the minority. Most liberal voters would want a NDP liberal coalition over a conservative minority government. But Jeez. the liberal party likely does not agree. Yeah, so we'll definitely see what happens there. Yeah. You know, again, Christo, you're you're removing the veil here to see how sickening this process can be. And the people <laughs> that are behind it are the yeah. ones that we're voting for. Like, it's not as if this was set in place by ghoulish monsters that are now gone. Like, th- this, these things can change. And they aren't yeah, being our changed system has directly. a lot of flexibility, right? Yeah. Like, like the U.S., like the U.S., look, I, I'm not going to bail out the, the corporate Dems, and I, <laughs> I don't want to get too much into the U.S., but the U.S. has a lot, a lot of their things are more baked in, and they have like filibusters and stuff, and yeah. they have a Senate that's much, that's, that's broken, and there's a lot more barriers in the U.S. to making the changes needed. Whereas in Canada, if we wanted to make electoral reform happen, it's literally just a bill. Mm. A bill to put a plaque on a building requires no more effort than fundamentally changing the electoral system. <laughs> that is something in the Canadian system that that we have a lot more flexibility in terms of shaping our politics. Yeah. Our constitution is very strong and it implies to applies to a lot of things, but there there are like it's there's a lot we could change a lot. A yeah. lot of Canada's political system is based on convention and tradition. Uh, which means you can make a lot of changes. If the political will is there, it can happen. It's just, it hasn't yet. Yeah, and I do I do hope, and we talk about this a lot, that the coming generations can change that, but there's always, you know, it's not just uh, woke, freedom, happy youth that are coming in. There are also barbarism and conservatism that, that wants things to perhaps yeah. stay the same in some ways. But, you know, there is a hope for a more ambitious NDP that can move those changes. We've had bills in place, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, that have uh, moved that, uh, what was it, the monument to those killed by communism in Canada. But why can't we have a bill that yeah. changes the structures in place that are ensuring 
our unhappiness and our, our lives to be worse. Like, you do, this is a deal in our society. You don't have to be a part of it. You can ask more. And I want to quickly get to this because we've been going on it a lot here. Uh, this is another question. Moneyball J, a recent addition to our Discord family, asks a very good question. Is there something to the narrative that Singh sang before that he wouldn't work with Shears conservatives, but now willing to work with O'Toole as conservatives seem to be pulling better? Uh, does that give signal to the other narrative that conservatives are actually a real threat? So you've got to vote liberal. I've heard that narrative. In the last election, Singh made it clear they wouldn't prop up a conservative government. Singh is playing a little bit more coy this time. I think that's likely from a pure political perspective, like strategy, smart, because it's like bargaining. If you go to a car dealership and say, sir, I'm not going to take a bad deal, but I am, <laughs> will only buy a car from you and no other dealership. <laughs> yeah. it, you know, like it limits your ability to bargain. Ultimately, mm -hmm. I'm skeptical Singh will prop up an O'Toole government because I don't know how much they could agree on. Uh, as critical as we are on Trudeau, I think there would be a wider Venn diagram of policies yeah. Singh and Trudeau would agree on versus uh, Singh and O'Toole. Although mm -hmm. it's not to say that there couldn't be commonalities between Singh and O'Toole. Uh, yeah. You know, the yeah, but but the but the reality is that the question misses the point. The liberals are trying to use this narrative to suggest a vote for the NDP is a vote for the conservatives, both because of uh, strategic voting, but also because Singh is going to form some coalition with O'Toole. But no one is asking Justin Trudeau, will he prop up a conservative government? Mm -hmm. Right. And the reality is we've talked about it. I do see a scenario where Justin Trudeau could be second in seats but with more than enough seats that when you add up the NDP and maybe the Greens, if you have to, that you could form a, a blue, orange or a red, orange, green coalition to stop the conservatives. Would Justin Trudeau commit to doing that? And he hasn't been asked, I don't believe, and he certainly hasn't answered. Mm -hmm. And we also have to remember, we've talked about it. Wealth tax, O'Toole and Trudeau unified against the NDP. Indigenous affairs, when the NDP wanted to like invest in indigenous communities. O'Toole and Shear united with Trudeau against the NDP. When we were talking about um, dental care, O'Toole and Trudeau united against the NDP. When they were legislating the workers back to work at the Port of Montreal, yeah. that was O'Toole and uh, Trudeau uniting against the NDP. And so this is, I, I'm not going to legitimize the narrative that it's like, oh, uh, Singh wants to uh, prop up O'Toole when one, Singh was very clear he didn't want an election. He was willing to continue the current government in which O'Toole had relatively little power. Um, and it was Justin Trudeau that was like, yeah, let's roll the dice on giving Aaron O'Toole the government. And let's continue to vote together, liberal and conservative, on any policy that uh, would make this country better. Mm -hmm. And so I don't buy it. I don't yeah. buy it. Liberals can spin it how they want. But there, were far, there was far more liberal conservative cooperation in the last parliament than NDP conservative cooperation mm -hmm. in the last parliament. The NDP and conservatives worked together on certain things around liberal corruption, you know, on the we scandal and things mm -hmm. like that. And I was, you know, in general supportive of that. But, you know, uh, it, it, the NDP never say teamed up with the conservatives to vote down child care or something. <laughs> like Workers that. rights or something like that. Workers back rights. to school. Whereas back the to liberals and conservatives yeah. have teamed up to yeah. vote down NDP motions on that often mm -hmm. in support of often with the block support the greens to their credit usually supported the ndp on those policies 
Yeah, and just again, those those are our questions this week. So if you want to uh, be a part of it, please join our our Discord. There, uh, a lot of great people from different backgrounds. Talking of the Greens, I've seen some projections, and, and maybe I'm wrong here, that the PPC could be doing better than the Greens in some areas. Am I am I mistaken? Like there does seem to be a real a real drop off, and we've discussed perhaps why that has happened thanks to uh, some of the leadership choices there, but. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. I am wondering if we do see uh, a loss of those green seats, and you know, a horrible racist PPC seat. Well, right now, if you look at the polling, it, um, CBC poll tracker does not currently carve out uh, the PPC, mm-hmm. but you can assume that most of the other vote belongs to them, and the other is at four point nine. The greens are at four, so you can assume that they're close to the greens in that poll. But the difference is that there is not currently a projection of a uh, of a uh, PPC seat at this okay. stage. All right. Uh, there's not ne- like there's nowhere at least right now that the PPC are projected to win. That could be because while they're polling better, uh, the conservatives are not tanking, and so the ridings that they might have a chance at winning are going to be held by the conservatives. If you look at three thirty eight, their aggregate, I believe, does carve out. For the PPC and what they show for the is that the the Greens are at 4.3 on average and the PPC are at 3.5 on average, mm-hmm. but it does not project a PPC seat as of yet. Although mm-hmm. it should be said that both projections have the Greens down at one seat, which likely means they're projecting that Paul Manley will lose his seat. Uh, Jenica Atwin, of course, was the third Green yeah. MP. She crossed to the Liberals. Elizabeth Elizabeth May seat is likely safe. Um, you know, I believe in the last election she was well over forty. I think maybe even fifty percent of the vote. So um, it would take quite a bit for May to lose her seat. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's not looking good right now for the Greens. They have they've run an, a horrible campaign. Yeah. The leader is basically running a fully local campaign in Toronto Center that I think she's extremely likely to lose. If I'm being honest. Oh well. Uh, yeah. Um, and. Uh, Paul Manley, the Green MP uh, from out west uh, in BC, he um, put out a fundraising call, put up uh, uh, campaign literature that did not uh, in any instance mention the Green Party leader's name. Um, And so I think what you're seeing right now is the three main Green candidates, the leader and the two actual MPs, are running quasi-independent campaigns. And they're not actually running a a concerted party. I think the PPC up is up right now. uh, I think just by virtue of the fact that like, you know, I think they they're the anti-vaxxer party. Yeah, they're, and they, they didn't. Necess- we need a party for those. It's like, a much smaller uh, cohort here in Canada, but there are still definitely people. And, yeah, you know, there is yeah, no party for yeah, them. Yeah, they're the anti-vaxxer party right yeah. now, and I think they're they've captured it. Like, you know, racism was their issue in the last election, but it didn't really work. I mean, we already had a liberal leader doing blackface to kind of quarter the market. But like, but the reality is, like, I think anti-vaxxing has really become their issue because the conservative party, you know, they've kicked out people for being anti-vaxxers and obviously the liberals and the NDP have taken a strong stand saying, you know, we won't allow unvaccinated people to run for us, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, the PPC has said, hey, if you're like an anti-vaxxer, come to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's not translating into a seat yet. If you look at the polling averages, this is good and bad for them is that they, they're polling 3.5 on average but in every region, it's between two and four percent, and that's mm. awful. That's yeah. awful. You, if you're a small party, you want to pull high somewhere. For example, the Greens polling at four, 
are polling at 8% in BC. And it's likely one of the reasons why they have a chance at winning one or two seats there, mm -hmm. right? You want to have some regional strength somewhere, right? Yeah. And the, no, the PPC yeah. does not have that yet. Yeah, so we it's you know yeah. that's good to yeah. know that it, it's coming yeah. out that way because I I don't know about you and they locally. have not been invited to the to the yes. debates. I that wonder was, if that yeah. helps Bernier though, just because he can tout like you know they're they're not giving me my voice. Like it it is kind of on brand a little bit. I I, I think that might be part of it. Um, yeah. I wonder if it also helps O'Toole a little bit. It might mm. hurt. O the argument is it helps O'Toole because it doesn't give this high profile person on the right a chance to steal some of his votes on the other hand it might have helped O'Toole to have uh Bernier on the stage if he could have attacked Bernier yeah. uh, attacking him uh, to kind of uh, validate himself to the centrist voter to say mm. that's those are the crazies the crazies they're gone now they used <laughs> to be in our party we're glad they're gone if you want to vote for the crazies vote for the PPC you know we're the moderate real conservative I'm not I'm not agreeing with that necessarily yeah, not at all but saying like yeah. <laughs> that's an opportunity that he may have lost i'm not yeah. sure how that's going to play out but um it's definitely the case that uh you know they were in last time but they're no longer this time yeah so i, I just wanted to end off the show this week again we're talking a lot of election stuff and i think that'll be the case uh, until september 20th but if there is an election, there's going to be slogans. And there's a great article in the Washington Post uh, from someone that you know, a great columnist, uh, David here. How do you say his last name? I always get it wrong. Mosscrop. Mosscrop. He's great. And he was highlighting all of the different slogans for this election. So I think they're, they've kind of tested them and now they're pushing them out. But it is kind of amazing to see how these slogans have been focus grouped to hell and they really do speak to the ideologies of each of these parties pretty well. So I, I, I want to go through it. Let's start with the liberals. If you haven't heard these before, they decided on forward period for everyone. So this is their notion that they're moving forward for everyone. One out of five. How would you rate that, uh, Christo? I mean, it's okay. I yeah. mean, it's, I get the notion. It's like, we're, we're making progress, but we're not going to leave anyone behind. It's part of that Trudeau slogan. He hasn't been using it as much lately, but it's part of that classic Trudeau slogan. You know, we're working hard for the middle class and those working to join it. Mm -hmm. Right. Like this idea that like, we want to work for the people that are already middle class and help them like do better and preserve what they have. But also we know that there are people that aren't middle class and we want maybe those people to be able to achieve that. Yeah, so I think that fits their narrative. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, it fits their narrative. It's not the worst slogan. Okay. And then we have the conservatives, which, which might be one of my favorites because it is, it's definitely on brand. Secure the future. <laughs> it, yeah. it seems a little aggressive to me. And like, it, it seems so financial. And it, it, it basically could be like, you know, we need to pay it back or something like that. Like, I just secure the bag is really what I think about in internet speak. But <laughs> uh, yeah, how, how would you rate secure the future from well, barring uh, the, the fact that it's it, it whether intentional or not, it references Nazi uh, or and far right ideology you know, securing a future for white children. I guess Great. it does fit. They could spin it in a lot of ways. They could say, for instance, you know, we want to fight excessive spending because we don't want to leave debt for our children. We want to invest in Canada so that we have a good future for, you know, the Canadians that are around now, but the ones that aren't even born yet. Uh, you know, 
whether I, I don't necessarily think it's they're, they're the party to do it because while the liberals are certainly not actually addressing climate change, the conservatives are probably even worse. Yeah. And so a party that's not willing to address the catastrophe catastrophe of climate change isn't actually invested in securing the future. Although maybe it's the kind of slogan that like uh, off it makes people feel like safe and secure. Mm. And so maybe that works for a prospective conservative voter. Yeah, see, I, I think of it as like a real gra- like a real hand going to grab you, securing. <laughs> like David points out in the article, like this this messaging doesn't really work when you deal with other issues. Like secure mental health <laughs> really doesn't uh, you know fall in line there. But I I do like that they are on brand. NDP is going pretty classic here, pretty simple. I like it. Simply put, fighting for you. What we've seen of Jagmeet. It, absolutely he's he's pushing yeah. that narrative what do you think i like it, it yeah. you know it has that it's 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 similar to the liberal one in the sense but it's more like it's targeted at at you the person yeah. reading it and it's saying that like we're going to fight it it kind of gives a soft recognition of class conflict we're talking to regular canadians we're going to fight for the issues you care about we're you know, at least going to take, we're going to take on the, those people that are, that are, that are not fighting for you. And then in many cases are fighting against you. And so like that ad I referenced earlier, you know, Jugmeat is fighting the billionaire class for you. He's going to ensure they, they pay their fair of uh, fair share of taxes so that you and your family and your community can get health care, get dental care, get child care and those sorts of things. And I think yeah. it's, you know, a, 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 an accessible, friendly way of, of bringing up class conflict. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And it, it, it's in line with what we've seen so far. I like it. Uh, the Greens now to finish it off. I was looking at the PPC. They don't have their official slogan yet, but it's it, there's a lot of jargon when you uh, go to their website. But the Greens, theirs simply put is be daring. Which I yeah, that's awful. That's I also awful. love because it's nonsense. Like it has yeah. nothing to do. Like secure the future. You could almost argue be, could be, be more like in support line with the, the bombing of Palestinian children. <laughs> be daring. No, no, it's awful. It's awful. It's it. it look, they they had another bad one uh, last time. They had the the not left, not right, but forward. Really oh tapping God. into the Greens as like this postpartisan party, and mm-hmm. I get it. The, they have a, a segment of their voter base that are, could be voting conservative, but it's it's it, fundamentally the Greens are still a like their their base is center left. If you look at the second choice of Green voters, it's NDP. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the people who vote Green right now or are considering voting Green are not going to uh, like this not left, not right, but forward. And be daring is awful. Like yeah, yeah that's awful. That is terrible. Bad yeah. all around. So there the we other have ones, it. The other ones I can all understand. Like, I yeah. don't love the conservative one, but I can understand it. And again, like, it's not meant for me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's meant for, like, a prospective conservative voter. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe, a, maybe, a, maybe like, uh, somebody who votes conservative or somebody that, you know, lives in suburb, uh, suburban Ontario that would consider voting conservative and is worried about the future and, you know, uh, worried about finances and things like that and, you know, it, 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 it shows O'Toole as like a serious, no nonsense, nuts and bolts kind of guy, which is what a lot of people want when they when they vote conservative. It Whether is or not, weird. Like, it's accurate. Yeah, it is odd, though, because I think you yeah. tapped on it, that there is the words literally the future 
in the conservative sloganeering when they are not addressing the actual <laughs> existential crises that will end our future. Like it, it, it is, it is so funny for me at least that that they wanted to airmark that word in their uh, literature. And I don't know if you've seen their uh, actual logos printed, but if you you haven't yet, yeah, take a look in some of their slogans because they do this really weird thing with both the U's on top of each other. And they're like, just, it makes like a lock, right? Yeah, Almost, it's like just a bike nonsense. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. make sense. And I just, I love shit like that. I love it when they're pushing people that are probably very underpaid who are actually designing these sort of, uh, you know, the, the images and art for these campaigns. And I guarantee there was someone that came into a room that makes way too much money and said <laughs> to some, you know, someone making, making a little more than minimum wage. I want something like about the different locks and that we're all together, but we're still strong. And I, I can, I can see it in my mind right now. Some guy like, I don't fucking know. All right, maybe this or something. And the person loving it. So anyways, make sure you check it out. Uh, yeah, I think that's it for us this week. Christo, when we talk next week, will we have had our first debate? Debate by then, the first debate would likely be on um, uh, September second. It'll be the TVA debate. Mm. Uh, so it's a it's a debate uh, for for Quebec. It's one of the French debates. All right, so, so be a we debate will, on the second. We'll so, definitely have the highlights of that, and, and it'll be a good indicator of yeah. uh, you know where how these leaders are going to perform. You know, can Jagmeet keep that personal momentum? Will Trudeau put his uh, foot in his mouth? Like you said earlier, we could have a reality where the NDP becomes the anti-conservative party if uh, Trudeau keeps fucking up in these substantial ways. You know, it's not impossible. So if you if you think that way, please hold out hope. Uh, Andy Burkowski, Christo Valise, we will talk to you next week. Thank you.